DiscerningHearts.com presents Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. He has led over 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality nationwide. He is the author of numerous books, including Crossing the Desert, on which this series is based. Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Deacon Keating. Thank you. In the opening chapter, you make a very profound statement, actually, that life in Lent today is life as usual. But that's not how Lent is supposed to be for us, is it? Ideally, it's really supposed to be a, well, an oasis. It's a a strange way of saying it, but uh, we are living in a desert every day of our lives. It's easier for us not to think of God than it is for us to think of him. And so obviously, uh, we're in a desert in terms of our cognizance of God's presence. And Lent is given to us from the church as a great gift that here's a resting place, a resting spot for you to lay down all of the fears and worries and anxieties and difficulties that the American culture and capitalism and consumerism foists upon us. And you can lay that all down for 40 days. And this place, this resting place, is supposed to be different. It's not supposed to just be life as usual punctuated by Ash Wednesday and punctuated by Good Friday. Uh, The only two times that most Catholics go to church during Lent, except for the Sundays that we normally go. Ash Wednesday is usually overflowing, which all people who are ministers in the church always marvel at because it's not a holy day of obligation. And there is standing room only like Christmas Eve Mass, a lot of churches. What are all these people doing here when they're not supposed to be here? They don't have to be here. They're not obligated by the church. There's a deep intuition in us that the church is right and that we do need this place of rest. And so they show up looking for the place to dump their their baggage, all the things that they carry for the 320 days or so of the year that define them. And they're just hoping that this place called the Catholic community will be the place where they can release all that and let it all fall. And then after Ash Wednesday, of course, we're taken up into the swirl of life as usual. So paradoxically, Lent is supposed to be a time of going into the desert to depend more on God. But obviously, the scripture writers, the Old Testament prophets and and others, the whole book of Exodus, never anticipated that that uh, metaphor Uh, would be our normal life. They were leaving um, uh, the slavery of sin, going into the desert to be uh, tested by God. Do you really love me? Do you really trust me? And uh, 
as an occasional experience. But we're in the desert all the time. We're in a deep, uh, opaque, secular uh, culture that uh, makes it easier for us to think that we are the decision makers than uh, to trust in God. And so we want to leave the desert of American consumerism and we want to enter the oasis of our parish during the 40 days of Lent. We don't want it to be just life as usual. By the end of 40 days, living in the light of the Eucharist, in the light of the Sacrament of Reconciliation, in the light of fasting, penance, and almsgiving, in the light of fellowship, at the end of these 40 days, we want to somehow bring that oasis into our normal lives, the rest that we find in Christ. The term Lent is actually, isn't it Latin for springtime? It's a very positive word. It's new life. It's, uh, again, after this, uh, this desert-type life or this dryness, the Lord comes and brings the water and the rain, and, and we're so thirsty by then that we come to life because we're so dried up by our distancing ourselves from God during the rest of the year. And so Lent comes, and we're like those flowers that just turn up to receive the water, to receive life, to receive air, to receive the sunlight. We're just thirsting for the sources of life. And so Lent is very positive. And around the table of some Catholic homes, there will be conversation usually about Lent regarding what we should give up. And uh, good conversation to have. But don't neglect the fact that uh, Lent is not just attached to a negative. Lent really is a very positive gift that God gives us. It's springtime. It's coming. Hope is coming. New life is coming. Change is coming. We don't have to be saddled with the things that make us sad, our own sins. We really can live a new life in Christ with the help of the sacraments and the Catholic community. You point out in Crossing the Desert that God's providence does not depend upon our ability to provide for ourselves and or control the activity of others or ourselves. It only demands that we be available to God working in us. And that's the tough one, isn't it? I mean, opening yourself up to do whatever God may will. That is, that's the cross. The availability, the disposition of availability means first and foremost that I'm available to be affected by you, God. And if all you want to do in your providence is for me to enjoy a deeper intimacy with you and for me never to, you know, win a million dollars or, or get that dream house or that dream job or that dream vacation or even to have health or to perhaps found that, find that special woman or man for marriage if you want me to be single my whole life, even though I feel deep in my heart I, I want to be married. Whatever, Lord. I, in my heart, really just want what you want. 
Your providence really is the gift of yourself. And as I grow through the disciplines of Lent over the, over the course of my life, as I grow in the disciplines of Lent, hopefully I will grow to a deeper appreciation that all your providence provides, which is you, is sufficient. Now, of course, this is developmental because we are born sinful and ordered toward the self, and so we fantasize about all our needs being met in a perfectly beautiful way. And because the world is broken and because our wills are broken and because our dispositions are disordered due to original sin, developmentally we come to this consciousness that, oh, I see, it's not about all this stuff. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about you, Lord. And this is why sometimes people have trouble praying, too. Because they think that prayer is a receiving of the affections or the emotions. And God, give me good feelings, particularly in our consumer culture where we are equating prayer with entertainment or going to the movies or getting a jolt by going to a sports event. Wow, that felt good. It, it made me forget my pains and difficulties for a while. That was a good jolt. And prayer is not that. Prayer is not an experience of an emotional high. Prayer is your interest in God. Prayer is that you love God so much that you want to be with Him. Whether you receive a mystical experience or a movement of the heart or not. This is why prayer is so difficult for us to keep going back to. Do we really love God? And as we grow and mature in spiritual living, we realize that's what prayer is. Prayer is about me wanting to think about God, wanting to be with God. Prayer is not about me going to church hoping that something in my life will change. Prayer is not about me going to church hoping that something in my life will be given to me. Prayer is about me loving God, thinking about God. So one of the great disciplines of Lent is prayer, and hopefully prayer that changes according to that disposition, that I'm not going into it thinking, what am I going to get out of it, which is still the consumer culture. We are still consumers even when we pray. We, we go to prayer and we say, okay, now God, give me something. No, I mean, what if you had that relationship with your wife or your husband? I'm going to be nice to you now, but make sure at the end of me being nice to you, you give me something. Because you know, that's really why I'm being nice to you. I'm only seeking your affection so I get something. This is the purification that's needed in Lent. And it is a crucifixion. Because what if God doesn't ever give you health, money, rest, leisure, fame, fortune, whatever you're looking for? What if at the end you just get God? Sometimes when we approach a, a season in the life of the church, such as Lent, we are so familiar with it 
that it comes and it goes and we really haven't had the type of transformation the church calls us to experience. As you point out in Crossing the Desert, we like our routines. We like the familiar. Even during Lent, the fact that you would go by a Long John Silver's and see their specials for fish, so we eat fish. But we've lost the reason why, the discipline, the reason why we would enter this act of penance. It's all become very familiar, and we really don't want to go deep. Right, and we, yeah, we even stay safe with our, well, we're going to give up, or we mm-hmm. stay safe with our penances, you know. The, the funny thing, you know, with the the restaurant example as you give, it's Friday, it's Lent, well, I have to go eat lobster. Oh, mm. have to go have some swordfish. You know, that's a penance. Even uh, at home, you know, oh, it's uh, Friday and Lent. Well, what shall we do? Can't eat meat. Let's have pizza. We all love pizza. Macaroni and cheese, grilled cheese. I mean, we all can find something, peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. We can all find something we like. <laughs> yep. Even though we may say, well, this is not as good as a steak, but okay, but no, we will stay within our familiar patterns of um, comfort. And um, God understands this. Of course, God is, God understands it so much that he sent his own son to save us from this because he knew we couldn't get out of it ourselves. He knew that if we left us alone, that's all we would give, you know. We would simply give, well, I won't have steak tonight. I'll have my other a favorite food, uh, lobster, and I'll call it penance. I mean, God knows that we're rationalizers like that. And that's why most of Lent is about securing the new habit of simply surrendering to God. Just keep surrendering over and over again. Just keep saying, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Will you please help me? I, I want to do good, but I cannot, as Paul said in the scriptures. Why do I do the things I do not want to do? Probably one of the greatest insights into human anthropology ever written in that brief line of Paul. Why do I do the things I do not want to do? And Lent is riddled with that plea, that cry, that lament. Because we all start out with good intentions. I'm going to really talk to my brother. I'm really going to talk to my neighbor. The guy next door I've lived next to for 20 years this Lenten. 40 days go by and you still didn't do it. I'm going to forgive so-and-so and I still don't do it. So life as usual is to some extent the um, rut that Christ is trying to pull us out of during Lent. He's at the top of the ditch and he's trying to pull out and we keep saying, no, we like it down here. Comfortable, we have our, our habits, we have our, our routine. And uh, thanks for trying, Jesus, but uh, not this year. I'm not really interested in seeing if there's another level of life to lead. I like where I am. I'll go through the routines. I'll wave to you at the top of the ditch if you're trying to pull me out. And I'll praise you. I'll say thanks for trying. But I'm not going to let you actually do it. Because if I actually do it, of course, then, well, what will happen then? I won't be secure anymore. I'm opening the doors to all sorts of terrible things like happiness and change and new life. And the pathetic thing about being human is 
We like our neuroses, and we order our lives according to our viciousness. Uh, we just like to stay where we are. And you can't argue with that because you'd be able to point to the millions and the thousands of people who allow Jesus to pull them up and give them new insight, new light. And so this is why the, the genius of Catholic theology with purgatory, because we understand that many, many, many of us will perhaps never say, Jesus, save me. My life is puny. I've got this puny little life. I've made it as small as my living room or as tiny as the bedroom that I hide in or as small as the square block that I live on. I've made it controllable because I'm really afraid. And Jesus, if I was honest, I'd tell you I'm afraid all the time. And Jesus in Lent is trying to soothe the fear and calm the fear and heal the fear, trying to expand beyond life as usual. He wants to take us deep into the soul and deep into charity with neighbors, deep into the mystery of the Mass, deep into the crucifixion, the resurrection. He's got so much waiting for us. He has so much grace which will change our lives, our dispositions, our intellects, our imaginations. He has so much to give us. Just let him pull you up out of life as usual during this Lent. One of the most compelling questions that you pose in Crossing the Desert comes from a reflection that you have where you say, if we truly live in Lent, we can yield over our concerns and come to trust that God will provide. The frightening question is, what will God provide? Right, and as we, we meditated on that, you know, what will God provide? Is it okay if God just provides himself? See, now everything in us will say, well, that's terribly impractical. I need all of this stuff, and I need all of this, all these accretions around me, because that's who I am. My identity is clear. I am all of this stuff and all of these accomplishments, and I am where I live, and I am who I know. And it's very frightening to think that if you get really close to God, God may have only himself to offer. Now, usually what happens, if you look at the lives of the saints, they become content with what God has to offer. In other words, their lives become radically simple. That's the newness of life. To be a person who receives God at the deepest of levels. And then to receive the gift that comes along with that receptivity. All that I thought was fascinating. All that I thought was beguiling about life is now dry. It's all dried up. Nothing satisfies anymore. I always wanted to be a member of that club, whatever that club is in your imagination. And as you let Christ closer and closer, you realize your interest and your fascination with that dries up. And you literally become simple. And all of a sudden, you awaken to the needs of others. And you're no longer worrying about measuring your own advancement. You don't use the yardstick anymore for your own advancement. You're now wondering about the poor and the sick, the lonely. 
You're now wondering about whether you're a good enough mother, father, husband, wife, son, daughter, Catholic. You're now wondering about how your presence affects others. And all of a sudden you get this fascinating insight that my life is full because I allowed him in. And yet my life now is incredibly simple. Praise be Jesus Christ. See, and this is the great joy of the saints. And each year the church gives us Lent so that we have another chance to join them in their happiness. And another chance for all of us to leave our crushing boredom and our crushing stress, all self-imposed, to leave all of that behind and to literally let God abscond with you, to hide with God for a bit, to let him minister to you, to let him heal you in all of the hurts that have led you to be so self-involved. He wants to go to the very core of those wounds in Lent to liberate you. To gift you with a happiness that only communion with the Holy can give you. Stop worrying about what neighborhood you're going to live in next. There is no next. Because you'd bring your same neuroses and your same sins to that brand new neighborhood, to that brand new job, to that brand new spouse. Stop thinking about what's next and allow Christ to take you so that you will be content with where you are. This is the power of Lent. And we are saturated in the opposite message. The message of more different self, fear. Don't be left out. Don't be last. Don't be forgotten. And the whole culture and the economy run on these. Come to the oasis of Lent and begin to receive your own happiness. The desert then becomes a place where we meet God. In a very real way, it's the ultimate symbol of loneliness. And yet... From everything that we have just spoken of, that whole desert of consumerism, that would seem to be the ultimate loneliness. And it is. But we keep ourselves so busy we don't know we're in pain. And that's why church and the call of the church always appears as a terrible inconvenience to us. Because we just don't know how lonely we really are and how much pain we're really in because we're on the treadmill. Because we are spinning continually with the um, desires of others. Not even our own desires. Don't even know necessarily what our own desires are. Because we're so obedient in the United States. We must attain this 
fictional level of self-worth and we're run by masters other than the truth. We're continually run by other masters. We are all in deep pain, many in deep loneliness, but we don't know it because we're so busy escaping it. A lot of our economy is based on escape from our lack of capacity for an interior life, from one distraction to the next. The economy runs on our fear of being alone with the alone. The economy runs on our fear of solitude because we may actually encounter the living God or we may encounter some truth about ourself that's uncomfortable. And so the economy continues to take us away with bubbles and distractions and events and hyper-events so that we never have to go in and we never have to see how lonely we are, how isolated the desert of consumerism and the American popular culture actually is. And what you will be given in return when you enter into the oasis of Lent is you will be given fellowship and you will be given fellowship not only with God but with one another. And your capacity for relationships will deepen. And again, this is how the life becomes simple. This is how you can become detached. As the great mendicant orders used to teach, detachment from things, use of things, but detachment from them. And you will have a house to live in, and you will have a car, and, but you, you won't define yourself according to these things. You'll be defining yourselves according to the intimacy that you have allowed in. Fellowship with Christ, fellowship with your fellow parishioners, your family. And so, we are in the desert, but we keep putting up these fake Hollywood sets, building feverishly and furiously. Keep building so we don't remember we're in the desert. Keep masking. Keep putting up fake sets and walls so we think that we're in New York City or California or some island paradise. Keep escaping. And Jesus is saying, <laughs> he's probably looking at us and laughing and just saying, come on. You know that the answer to all this feverish activity is to let me heal you. So I'll just be here for you when you're tired. When you're tired with this whole circus, I'll just be here. I'll wait for you. So come. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You've been listening to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app available at the Apple app and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com 
and join us next time for Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. <music>